Welcome to I'll Be Dash, a Woodhouse podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Scott. And we are a father-daughter duo who read and discuss the works of P.G. Woodhouse. This month, we are going to be talking about <laughs> The Little Nugget was initially published in Muncie Magazine in August 1913 before being published in book form later that month. An earlier version had been published at the beginning of the year without a love interest. Ogden Ford and his mother appear in the later novel, Piccadilly Jim, in which, surprise, surprise, there is a kidnapping plot taking place. The headmaster, Arnold Abney, is mentioned in Much Obliged Jeeves, published in the early 70s. So that is our introduction to the novel, and now we're going to get into it. I will preface this with, this is one of Robin's favorite novels of all time. You guys, I found this book so boring. It's I started reading this book a week and a half ago, two weeks, like a week and a half ago. It's only like two hundred and thirty pages. It I can read two hundred thirty pages in a day. This okay. took me a week and a half. Okay, I I read a not a Woodhouse book, but I read like a 250-page book that took me like a month to read. Which book was it? Uh, Girl Flesh. Oh, okay. Did you enjoy the book? No. Okay, then. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, because I found it so boring, it took me literally like 13 times longer than it should have. For those of you who are great fans of The Little Nugget, we appreciate you being here. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, God. All right. That's not a diss. I, I genuinely am impressed. And if someone wants oh. to explain to me why they like the little nugget, awesome. Well, there, there are things about the little nugget that perhaps people enjoy because they're different than what you find in other Woodhouse books i'm not one of those people what for one uh the main character is much more introspective than other uh characters we have encountered is he yeah mm -hmm. yeah I, I mean look at the typical woodhouse male okay i <laughs> i guess that doesn't mean it's good i didn't say <laughs> i said I, you you can't respond to Everything, but and with, but is it good? I mean, that's, I mean, that's not much of a discussion that, here. Why I'm here? <laughs> well, well, I believe good? I believe Woodhouse does it. Yeah, but it sucks. Well, that was a great discussion we're having. <laughs> I'll have a discussion. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> let's let's try to pepper it with other things besides versions of it blows. No, I have actual thoughts of why I didn't like it. I can, can we're I, doing a great job of pulling the listeners in, <laughs> going, "Hmm, I wonder what they think about this novel." They will tell me throughout the podcast and lead me to it. So, would you rather me hold on to the realization that I had about why I didn't like it? Would you rather I hold on to that? Yeah, for the end? now, now we've. Prime the fumble to give him something. Listen to another hour and you'll discover what my realization was. This is written in two parts, which is another thing that stupid Robin will complain about, which also I will be fair and say I didn't enjoy it either. The first part of the novel, which is 
basically two sections or two chapters, depending how you look at it, but two sections. And then the second part of the novel, which is written in first person, is 18 chapters, I believe. Chapter one, we are introduced to Mrs. Elmer Ford, who is quite restless. She takes out and looks adoringly at a portrait of her son, Ogden. P.G. Woodhouse describes him as a repellent little boy of about 11, a bulgy, overfed little boy, a little boy who looked exactly what he was, the spoiled child of parents who had far more money than was good for him. I want to say I did make a note at that part, and I said, I love the way he described children. <laughs> well, yes, as we have said in previous podcasts, Woodhouse isn't really a big fan of children. And he does not hide it. Yeah, I I know that he loved his his stepdaughter, but as for any other children, he, he seems to have no patience for them. And he shows that in his books. <laughs> I had a joke about that, but you kind of you, and it's like so. I wrote so Woodhouse has softened his stance on children, oh, but sorry. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I don't look at my dad's notes before the podcast. No. I have them right there. You can read them beforehand. The split second before you read them. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Ford receives a call from the office saying that Lord Montre was there to see her. Lord Montre will be mentioned several times in this novel, but never actually seen. And you will forget several times who he is. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. He He is seen. I forgot him so much that I forgot that he comes in the next section oh well yeah but after that you don't see him yeah no i completely forgot he was actually in the novel at all yeah he was he's in the novel but he's only in this first part and then he uh like dad said he's mentioned several times but it's so infrequently that you forget who he is and then you have to remind yourself and then by the next time you read about him you forget who he was again i will point out also robin finished this book within the last hour whereas i finished it near the beginning of december so you have more of an excuse yeah her memories are much more fresh than mine lord montre comes up and they talk about the portrait which she painted herself he invites her on a trip in which an artist can also paint a more recent portrait of the child the artist is a friend of his who he attempts to force on vacation now this is a person that is brought up a few times within this chapter and then just yeah within the chapter yeah is not talked about again mrs ford says ogden does not live with her currently she and mr ford divorced and the court gave him custody of ogden i wish we had known why got more information about that because this is the early 20th century and even though he's a very rich man yeah is it is uncommon for a man to get custody yeah so i wish that had been explained a little bit she feels that she can arrange for Ogden to live with her, but is being cagey about it. And Montre is just being as curious as he feels he needs to be for courtesy. He doesn't care, really. She receives a call and says for whoever it is to be sent up. And she says goodbye to, what, is it Maltry or Montre? Because I think it's Montre. Okay, I change it to Maltry in this. Is it Maltry? I, I, I just want to know. Montre. Montre, Okay. Every one in this paragraph is Maltry. Yeah, it's Maltry. <laughs> okay. Uh, she says goodbye to Maltry. Leaving, he runs into a woman leading a boy about 14 by the hand. 
He looks very like the boy in the portrait, for he is. The woman is Mistra Salas, a nice-looking but seemingly hard woman who looks at Montre with contempt. He leaves, and Mrs. Ford hugs Ogden, who slips from her, her embrace and asks for a cigarette. Woodhouse describes him in unflattering terms. <laughs> Get used to that. <laughs> he allows himself to be embraced again, but isn't pleased about it, and Cynthia Drasillas asks about Lord Montre. Mrs. Ford tells Ogden to go get lunch. So she has him taken there and then sends him away. <laughs> Which, having spent time with him, I understand that. <laughs> he leaves and Cynthia gets money from uh, Mrs. Ford. Uh, her name is Nesta. Which is why I type Mrs. Ford more often than Nesta. Because it's not a pleasant name. Well, that's usually how she's referred to as Mrs. Ford. Yeah. Uh, she, she pays... Uh, Cynthia to pay off some debt as Nesta asks how she was able to do it. Cynthia talks about having flirted with the tutor and saying she needed to sketch, although she apparently can't sketch at all. Another piece of information that we really don't need. <laughs> uh, the tutor talks about his football past and goes off to get a clipping, a newspaper clipping, and Cynthia and Ogden go to catch a train. Cynthia is sure that nobody will come get Ogden in the bell rings. It is a man who says he's there to take Ogden back. Woodhouse also says that he was an extraordinarily unpleasant little boy, Ogden. Uh, and my comment was, well, that'll be fun to read about. <laughs> it wasn't. I'm going to try to not rag on it, but like... I am going to fail. <laughs> Section 2 of the first part. Cynthia is surprised and Mrs. Ford stammers, asking what he means to be doing there. Cynthia asks who he is. He is Elmer Ford's private secretary. He had been notified by the tutor of Ogden's disappearance. Menick, the secretary, don't need to worry about his name. You won't see him again. <laughs> received a telegram from Mr. Ford telling him to get the boy and to sack the tutor and to get the child in school. Mrs. Ford asks Menick to leave. But he refuses to do so without Ogden. When she threatens to call the porter, he says he will take the opportunity to have the porter call the police. He also has Miss Sheridan, a fellow secretary, uh, search the restaurant below. At the moment, she rings the bell, pulling Ogden along. Cynthia tries to talk to her about Ogden, but she feels Ogden is spoiled because his mother. Cynthia tries to bribe her, but it doesn't work. Nesta talks about the professionals who attempted to kidnap Ogden in the past. Get used to a lot of conversation about kidnapping Ogden because it plays a huge part in this book. It's kind of a sport. <laughs> it, it is in or, the other book that he appears in, too. Or other people's livelihood, really. <laughs> Cynthia says they need a man <clears throat> and offers up Peter Burns her fiance. She likes him, but does not admit to being in love with him, but he is rich and good looking and amiable. Cynthia proposes Peter go to the private school Ogden will be sent to. She wants Nesta to get her invited on the yacht. So that is the end of that chapter. That is the last appearance we have of Cynthia in the novel, although she does appear in letter form. She's in a flashback. Yes, 
Okay, yeah, she is in a flashback, but not yeah. in any. But in the actual we we don't line. see her within the story other than the flashback. Yeah, but we do see I think two letters maybe from her. Yeah. Um, one of my comments in this section was about manic or manic. Man, yeah. Yes. I, I pronounce it manic, but I know. guess I don't know. Cynthia for some reason, says her mother's a cat. And I'm sure this is just, like, phrasing. I, I, I assume it's to mean, like, catty. Maybe. Or on the prowl. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I did not think that Cynthia but, was going, my mother is an actual cat. Well, no, I didn't think so either. Meow. Especially because <laughs> we see her mother. But she says, I have a beastly home. My father's dead. My mother's a cat. So, and I'm like, Okay. Yeah, I I interpret that as being catty. Okay. Yeah, I, it was just one of those things that just made me pause and have questions. <laughs> pause. <laughs> Later, Cynthia is talking to Mrs. Ford, and she said that she failed with kidnapping Ogden uh, because that's man's work. And I said, mm, or maybe you were just too cocky and weren't careful. I mean, technically, it really shouldn't be anybody's work. Yeah, like, nobody <laughs> should be kidnapping a child. But, like, don't blame your failure on the fact that you're a woman. Like, And, and obviously, nobody who meets Ogden would want to kidnap him. I mean, no. Again. No. Oh, although I do say that in... There People are... do try to kidnap him repeatedly. Yeah. Even after having spent time with him. We are in part two, chapter one. Uh, we're, we're now in first person now and will be throughout the rest of the book. Yeah, which I apparently didn't make a note of. Um, I was not a fan of that. I don't mind first person. It doesn't bother me at all. Unless it changes suddenly I, in a book. I, I think we both agree. I Yeah, I'm not a fan of changing the point of view. Yeah. Like, it, like you can change the point of view if you want to do, like, two perspectives. That's fine. But, like, literally changing from third-person point of view to first-person yeah, point of view. No, it, I don't necessarily like it much. But if you have, like, first point of view and you're changing the person whose point of view. Sure. like if. Like if in a romance or sure. something you do and one partner and another partner, that's fine. But this one from third person point of view. Yeah. And first. then first person. And and I know we didn't have third person for long, but like then you do do it in first person from Cynthia's point of view in the first part. I, I well, I don't like that either because it, it it's different if it's changing first person point of views that are more equal, but if you're just doing it for that one section, I'm like, you sure. could have, you could have done the information from that first part mm -hmm. be given to Peter. Sure. Another way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I understand the thinking that, okay, I just want to get this information out of here so we can go full swing ahead. I still think you could have done that without having the, uh, having it drag at all yeah no I, <clears throat> no i agree i think there there could have been a way to do it while having the whole book in first person from peter's perspective i, I think there's definitely a way but it, it's just the fact that it, it did 
change like that was for me that was kind of like strike one yeah and I, it may not matter to the people this is but the, yeah this is something i don't like i i stephen king does the same thing mm -hmm. in the novel christine where it's like in first person it's it's got three sections the first one is in first person the second's in third person the last one is in first person oh i don't like that either because he needed for the narrator to be away from his best friend mm. but it's like i don't like that because you spend two-thirds a novel here mm -hmm. it just it feels amateurish to Sure. And not that I have any right to call PG Woodhouse amateurs, but well, it's like, I think you could have done it in first person all the way through. Well, plus, I think the fact that this was published in 1913, like, that's what, four years after his first novel? No. No. It was first, 1901 when his. 1902. 1902. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, never mind. I was going to be like, we can give him a little bit of grace, but like, a decade of publishing, like I feel like he could have, he could have done it better. I I do not say at all that this is poor writing. I'm just saying I personally do not like it. Sure. And again, as I've said in the past, he knows more about writing than I do. But I, I'm reading the book, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, don't which that. I mean, obviously, that in particular is a, a subjective take on both our sides we just happen to agree with it if yeah. you're someone who likes perspective changing like awesome definitely check this book out <laughs> maybe not for any other reason i'll bring up later but if that is something you look for in your novels i have a book for you <laughs> okay so we are in part two chapter now chapter one but uh in the beginning of each part there's like a little brief introductory Thing doesn't really matter a lot in either part. So this one, it just starts Peter's narrative, and it's just explaining that that's what's going to happen. Like yeah. from here on out, it's Peter's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, I'm kind of like, eh, okay. Uh, Peter ruminates over the fact that he is engaged. Like many Woodhouse men, he's a bit surprised by this fact. He's not sure if he loves Cynthia, but he had loved Audrey Blake. Why are we getting introduced to this name so early? Well, you'll see. It's usually not a good sign if you're like, oh, I'm engaged. Let me reminisce about this ex I had. Yeah. Peter looks at the man he was between 21 and 25 and doesn't feel there was a lot to that man. He compares himself to King Kofatua, which, for whatever reason, I did not look up to see if that was actually a real person. I didn't look it up either. But, uh, but... Oh, I did look it up, actually. I don't oh, think it great. was a, a real person. I think it was basically like a a a like a fable or a, mm. a morality story. Mm -hmm. The king sees a beggar woman and falls in love with her at first sight. In other words, a Woodhouse character. <laughs> uh, Audrey was the daughter of an artist. Her father jumped at the chance of having a wealthy son-in-law getting Audrey to accept, and a week later, the father died of pneumonia. His death gave Audrey more free will, and she used it to send Peter a short note notifying him that she had married another man that morning. This event has changed Peter from the man he was. He spends the next three years wandering in many countries. Coming back to London, he takes up with his old circle and meets Cynthia. 
Oh, uh, and and for those of you who care about these things, there is the use of the N-word in this uh, chapter. Yes. Peter meets Cynthia and is very sorry for her. That started with meeting her mother, a widow who he did not like. He refers to her as being surrounded by money, but without the ability to often obtain it. Her late husband's family thought he married beneath him and did the minimal they could with her, which made her temperamental. Peter looks to Cynthia as only a friend and calls her an honest, simple soul. Having met Cynthia, I must interject. Are you sure about that? But <laughs> Which one, honest or simple? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, we do only have our experience within that first part. Yeah. But considering her actions in the second part, which we only get secondhand, I'm just, eh, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> he had no intention of a relationship with her, also like many Woodhouse men, and is surprised to find himself proposing marriage, which I, I don't get. It's like how you got trip and fall into a proposal. Well, it's like, plus, especially, like, after reading the, we get to see, like, the proposal. Like, mm -hmm. he, he remembers it. It's like, yeah, it was sudden and, like, not necessarily planned, but, like, he did it. Yes. Like, he, he made that no, choice. He, he wasn't tricked into it like some Woodhouse men Yeah. He, it was just essentially a situation of, like, Oh, I feel sorry for her. Let me marry her. And like, yes, it was surprising, but it, he was the one who did. <laughs> There's it. nothing quite like a pity proposal. Yeah, that's always a good good thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, your life sucks. Want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> I can save you. <laughs> Which every woman loves to hear. He says it's Tankerfield Gifford who was the cause. He comes to the squares and introduce is introduced by Cynthia's mother to Gifford, known to his intimates, which does not include Peter as Tanky. Which is not a good nickname. No. Even <laughs> even for Woodhouse. It was that's just it, that was Woodhouse going like, can I just put a Y at the end of a name and have it work? He does that all the time. And sometimes it's like, okay, sure, I guess that works, but Tanky does not. <laughs> uh, there's a whole cab thing in which Cynthia doesn't want to go with Tanky, so tries to get Peter to take her in his, but her mother blocks this and afterwards chastises Peter, saying, Tanky is devoted to Cynthia. I'm annoyed that I've said that name so many times already. Tanky. Tanky. Cynthia asks Peter to take her away. He says he sees her differently. Although it is more to do with pity than love. This is all him reflecting at four in the morning. He goes to his desk and takes out a photo of Audrey, uh, intending to tear it up. He does not. He gets a call from Cynthia wanting him to come to Mrs. Ford's suite. She goes there. And, oh, so I guess we do see Cynthia in this chapter, but then we don't. Unless I'm lying about that, too. <laughs> he goes there and she suggests he wants the back out of the proposal. Now this is her mm -hmm. manipulating him here. Yeah. She asked if he is marrying her solely out of pity. He is. He says he loves her. He doesn't. He loves her as a friend. <laughs> she asks if he loves her as much as 
he loved Audrey Blake and asked, he asked how she knows her name. Run, Peter, run. <laughs> She's a stalker. <laughs> she talks about Ogden and how she attempted to kidnap him because in Woodhouse novels, this is Not something people deal. just talk about. Although he does seem a little, you know, off put. Yeah, he's he's not Birdie. Yeah, he's not like, oh, okay. <laughs> Birdie who comes up with the, the idea of kidnapping kids. <laughs> uh, Peter seems to take a dimmer view of kidnapping than most Woodhouse men. <laughs> but I suspect that will change. Cynthia is playing on pretty much everything she can play on here. And yes, he agrees to kidnap Ogden. Soon enough, he is meeting Arnold Abney. Cynthia has found out his school is where Ogden is going, and that Lord Montre's brother is going there. The brother Augustus. He will play a part later. Peter and Abner talk. Somehow, Peter agrees to be a classical master because you could just do that now. Peter has his man get him some Latin and Greek books because apparently that's all you need to do to be a master. Well, and Peter, I think, went to Oxford. It, yes, he does. He, it's I don't mentioned think, a few times. Yeah, I don't think he did, you know, particularly well, but he he I mean did go to school. As far as <laughs> I'm using the term a lot, but as far as Woodhouse men, I think he's more intelligent than the average one. Sure. But yeah, I don't think he's like any type of genius. Yeah. He he's no Sam. <laughs> the the one kidnapper. Oh, okay. You're just looking at me like we. So, what are you talking about, Father? For context of my confusion, uh, Dad and I watched Lord of the Rings yesterday. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even. And so when he said Sam, I'm like, Well, Sam is a genius. He is, but I'm like, why are you bringing a, a Hobbit into a discussion about PG Woodhouse? <laughs> Not that I have an issue with it, but I was just trying to figure <laughs> out that that line. <laughs> Oh, I so I highlighted a part in section one that I was just like, yeah, that's accurate. And I know that because I didn't put a note. But Woodhouse wrote, but at 30, having become an uncomfortable mixture of future and past, it is a thing to be looked at only when the sun is high in the world full of warmth and optimism. And the thing to be looked at is the future. And I just I just liked that writing. See, there's something I like. Hey, about you like something about this book. Yeah. I think that was the only one. Oh, I did did know, not a fan of the sudden shift to first person. (laughs) So Peter does this whole thing where he's like, okay, I'm engaged, but let me reminisce about this ex from five years ago. Mm -hmm. And he said that he had received the letter, it was brief to the point, she had been married that morning. And I just made a comment, I'm like, okay, but in your reminiscing, I'm not really seeing, like, an example of how he had loved her. (laughs) He's just like... Well, I mean, he talks about later how he wasn't that great a man at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And he seems to realize that there was stuff to love about her Mm -hmm. afterward. Whereas at first he was a young, rich, selfish, spoiled man who just kind of took for granted everything Mm -hmm. about her. And it's only when he started to mature Mm-hmm. Because of all this, that his love kind of blossomed under the surface, but of course she's married to she's somebody married, else. Yeah, yeah. I mean that is all true. 
Now, I, I will say, and this is something we're going to talk about later mm -hmm. in the book, there is a romance in here, but it's really, I think, secondary. It's really secondary. And a, a, a lot of it isn't at the forefront of anything. Mm -hmm. Like, the, their, spoiler alert, their relationship that uh, comes to get... Even at the very end of the book, mm -hmm. they don't. Yeah, they don't like run off to the sunset. Yeah, they don't. He goes to go talk to her. Yeah, but we don't see that. Yeah. So it it's like a lot of it's almost a very behind mm -hmm. closed doors kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's there, and and as I said at the beginning. He had written a previous version without the romance at all in it. Yeah. So it does kind of feel like he decided, for whatever reason, that he needed a romance in here. Mm -hmm. But he just kind of, I think, shoehorned it in. Yeah. And didn't rewrite it necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I almost wish he just hadn't put it in. I, uh, I mean, I, I think Woodhouse at the end, because... Again, if you're listening to this, you are looking to get spoiled about the book. We just t generally try to not spoil it until to we're talking about the chapter. <laughs> but obviously, Peter and Cynthia are not together at the end of the book. Yeah. Which I believe probably happened in the original version of the book. Mm -hmm. But then Peter's alone and yeah. perhaps... Woodhouse or his publishers or whoever mm -hmm. decided that Peter needed a happier ending. So sure. let's bring this ex-love yeah. and put them together. But you don't really see their relationship. Yeah. Why their relationship, how their relationship. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You're not you're you're essentially told. Yeah, it, and it's not like I'm going like, oh, they're not meant for each other. It's well, like, no. I don't know. You haven't really given me much here. Yeah, and we don't, honestly, we don't really know hardly anything about Audrey. And I would maintain even in the book, we don't really learn that oh, much no, about her. No, we don't her. learn that much about her. But we get more about Peter's relationship with Sam. Yeah. Another kidnapper. Yeah. Than we do his relationship with Audrey. Yeah. So at a certain point in this part, I I made a note, and maybe this is another explanation of why I wasn't a huge fan of this story. Because my note was he talks in quotation, thinks, narrates, whatever you want to call it. He talks too much, and so much of what he's saying makes no sense. Okay. Especially in that first chapter that we, we meet him. Okay. Because it's, I just, I'm not going to quote it because, but he's like thinking about Cynthia. And he's like, oh yeah, I like her. I didn't mean to marry her. I feel sorry for her, blah, blah. And then he suddenly goes off into religion some, for some reason. And then that's it. And then he goes back to Cynthia. And I'm like, okay. I seem to semi-recall this, but not really any of the what it is. It, it, it it's like a little cloud in my yeah. head. So the the reason I say it, this may explain a little bit of like why I'm not a huge fan of this character in general is I like lovable idiots, right? 
True. They tend to be brain empty, all vibes. That's not Peter. Yeah, I mean, he, Peter is no vibes, too many thoughts. Well, I will say, <laughs> yeah, Peter is not an idiot. Whether or not we think he's a genius or not, he's definitely not, he's an, not idiot. an idiot. He's not an idiot. Um, and to me, that's boring. <laughs> I'm not reading Woodhouse to read about a smart character. Robin's like, I like my Woodhouse men dumb and pretty. Pretty much. <laughs> I think about who I like. I like Bernie. I like the Honorable Freddy. I like Lord Emsworth. <laughs> like, well, well, if it makes you feel better, you will have plenty of lovable <laughs> idiots in your future. Great. But and so that that was just something that just occurred to me as I was, you know, looking over my notes is like, oh, well, maybe that's another reason of like why this was such a slog for me. It was just because I, I felt like it just it just wasn't funny. Now, I will say I, I don't think I dislike Peter as much as you do. Like I said, I don't hate him by any means. He's I, no Smith. I, I think that he stands out to me because he is a different type of Woodhouse sure. character. But I will also admit not overly filled with charm. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was just it's just a thing where I'm like, I don't hate him. He's he's no Smith. He's not, you know, super annoying. But he's also just to me not super compelling. Like he's you know how you always say that like you need to care about the character. Mm -hmm. I don't care about him. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, I will. I, was, I, I, I don't know what your rating for this is yet, and we won't talk about it at the end. But I, I think our our ratings may be somewhat similar, although I may have rated it a little bit higher than you. But I think that I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, story stands more on basically the capers sure and you know uh the kidnappers trying to kidnap and peter trying mm -hmm. to stop also yeah sort of thinking about kidnapping and then having the added kink of his ex mm -hmm. whose job depends on ogden not being kidnapped yeah that is what keeps the interest not necessarily did I say must it's the celery? Not necessarily. I heard not necessarily. Okay. Not not, not celery. <laughs> not necessarily the characters. Yeah. Which sucks because like for me, when I'm reading the characters are the most important thing. I have read a book and given it five stars with just two characters just walking across country. Very little plot happened. And I gave it five stars. So that is probably another reason of like. Okay, yeah, capers and woo, but like the characters yeah. to me are bland. But I, I think that you and I are similar in this, in that the story doesn't necessarily matter mm -hmm. if we don't care about the characters. Yeah, don't have to love the characters. No. Don't have to think the characters are somebody we want to be a friend no. with. But we have to care about yeah, them. And I, if we don't care, yeah. then it doesn't matter how great. Uh, the capers are plotted or anything. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, but I don't really care if he succeeds. <laughs> yeah, like, and I think that that explains why it took me a week and a half to read. It's just because I just didn't like the yeah. character. Now I do like the capers, and I do like the back and forth, like especially between him and Sam. I just, and I think I do probably 
care more about Peter than you do, but it, no, he he's not one of the great Woodhouse yeah. characters for me. Yeah. And there's not really anybody else. There's not a secondary character that yeah. takes that place. Like no. in Leave it to Smith, at least we stole head Lord Emsworth yeah. or Freddie or mm -hmm. even Baxter. I mean, yeah. maybe we didn't like Baxter, but we cared about what he was going through. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely don't care about Ogden. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't care about Cynthia or Mother or Mrs. Ford. Mr. Ford, who just really doesn't appear until the yeah, last until part the of the end. book. Yeah. I, I honestly, of all the characters, I care about Peter when he's conversing with Sam. <laughs> it sounds like you're just like Sam. I, I mean, I don't. <laughs> Really like Sam on his own, yeah. But I like the Peter and Sam dynamic. Interesting. Yeah, I did not. Well, <laughs> get the hell out of my house. Um, Which we'll talk about. <laughs> I, I don't care about the other kidnapper who I can't remember. Buck. Buck. Yeah. It, I wouldn't have remembered that until I read it in my synopsis. <laughs> I've forgotten his name. Yeah, it's Buck. Um. So, and anywho, that's that's just just a little explanation that I thought. He also ha has a thought when he's singing about Cynthia of like, Woodhouse writes, friendship kills love. And my comment is like, bullshit. <laughs> I call bullshit. <laughs> it's like, at that time, okay, sure, maybe. Yeah, it was like, yeah, looking at the perspective of... But like, there has been research oh, that has been done. Okay. Yes. A high level of friendship I'm is sure. actually a good predictor of successful marriage so uh, I, I agree with you but again we're looking like 110 years ago i know so. <laughs> i know but it's one of those things where you want me to read this and make comments that was one of my comments i am <laughs> i like how you always say that so <laughs> with such antagonism you want me to make a comment well, here's you your do. comment you give me shit if i don't have enough comments i will have you know i have 69 comments on this book did you do it just so you could have? 69? No, I didn't actually. I just oh. happened to notice. <laughs> oh, and then so Peter has a thought or narrates or whatever you want to call it. Said to the end of the chapter, we should be friends and nothing more. And I said, well, that's a bit on the nose. The way that Woodhouse broke down the chapters <laughs> is really fucking frustrating. <laughs> How so? I mean, I can understand in the first part because. I honestly had a lot of problems figuring out, okay, these chapters or sections or whatever. But in the, the second part, it's just chapters 1 through 18. But they eat, like, half the, more than half of each chapter has multiple sections, where they're uh -oh. literally Roman numeral 1, Roman numeral 2. Roman I don't feel three. like they were long enough for me to really note that. And that's and that's totally fine, so. but it just it was just frustrating, especially because I was like, oh, well, I'll just, it's 18 chapters, I'll just read, like, three chapters a day or whatever. And it's like, no, it's not. It's actually more than that. <laughs> oh, it's Cynthia and Peter are talking about the kidnapping, and Cynthia is trying to argue that kidnapping the child is, is best for him. <laughs> As one does. He And she pretty much says, like, Growing up with his father would be a tainted atmosphere at a most impressionable age. And she said, it means death to any good that is in him. And I said, well, that's too late. <laughs> yes, but Piggy again. Piggybacking on Woodhouse. We don't think that she actually has uh, Ogden's best in mind. I did appreciate that Woodhouse made a comment about, like, the education system. <laughs> 
even even in England 110 years ago. Uh, Hugh Kramer said that. Oh, because oh, so much explanation. All right, Cynthia is telling him to go be a master at the school, and he was pretty much like, "I don't have the qualifications for that." And she said, it doesn't matter. You have the money. Anybody with money can start a school, even if he doesn't know a thing. Nobody would think it's strange. And it, <laughs> he was it's like, it struck me as a monstrous slur on our educational system, but reflection told me it was true. The proprietor of a preparatory school, if he is a man of wealth, need not be able to teach any more than an impresario need to be able to write plays. And I just pretty much kind of like, this still feels accurate. <laughs> Especially about private schools. Woodhouse has... So the one character I would say that I didn't mind. Well, I guess I didn't mind both of them. Ringing endorsement. <laughs> the one character that I tended to like a little bit more until he got a cold was Mr. Abney. <laughs> which I will talk about. You will have to talk explain that later because now it just sounds like you hate sick people. I don't hate sick people. <laughs> sick people are great. <laughs> I will explain why I made that comment. Um, but Mr. Abney is the headmaster at the school. Uh, and when we first meet him, Woodhouse says that he sprang to his feet almost convulsively, returned to returned salutation, and subsided slowly into his chair again. And to me, that was just a, a hilarious mental image. And I don't, I don't know why. I was just picturing it, and I thought it was really funny. I also had a question for you. So does Peter... By being a master at the school, does he have to pay to be a teacher? Because he does this whole like mental gymnastics thing where he says, by kidnapping Ogden, I should be taking money from Mr. Abney. By paying my premium, I should be giving it back to him. And so he pretty much is like, it evens out because he didn't want to screw over. Yeah, I, I, I think because he's doing it to technically learn how to run a school quote unquote yeah i guess he has to pay a fee okay, there. okay. so yeah it kind of evens out and that's why generally only you richer men like him mm. would do something like this okay okay all right those are all my notes for that all right chapter two <laughs> this <laughs> dad didn't care for my notes <laughs> 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 You're just like, okay, geez, well, talking. Now I, I, I have too many notes. I almost feel like I have to be positive about the book to counteract you. I'm not even being that shitty yet. <laughs> I will say, I don't think I really get shitty. I think I just didn't really enjoy uh, the book. I think you get shitty. I think you get shitty. <laughs> Chapter two. <laughs> the school used to be a private home. It consists of Peter Abner, a master named Glossop, not Roderick. Okay, that was one of my questions. No, I did, I did yeah, make a note. Not like, Roderick, just apparently Woodhouse likes the name Glossop. Yeah, because I did make a note. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> no. Yeah, because when I first thought, I was like, huh? But he may be related to Glossop, but sure. we are not told that that is the case. Sure. The matron, the butler, the cook, odd job man, two housemates, scullery maid, a parlor maid and twenty-four boys. Pretty small school. That's a has to be a big house. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the butler is named White, and Peter likes him on sight. Great judge of character. Austere is mentioned here. Uh, as White does not have the austere aloofness one usually sees with Butler. 
He doesn't seem like a butler at all. Hmm. Like Peter, he is new. Peter thought an assistant master had an easy job. He finds that it is not so, but he thinks he needed it. He feels Abner felt this too, since he allows Peter to do much of his work also. Abney. Abney? Mm -hmm. I've got Abner all over the place. No, it's Abney. Yes, I have Abney here. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I just get in my head. So any previous mentions that I did that Robin just let me embarrass myself on. I was hoping it was just a typo, but then you did it multiple times. It, 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 <laughs> I meant Abney. I'm just going to, you know, edit in fart noises every time you talk. <laughs> Let's see. Abney often has to go to London to talk to parents. Peter's duties involve answering questions, breaking up fights, stopping bullying, which when did that become a, a job for masters? I, I thought they just that's part of what school kids were supposed to do back in those times, at least according to the other school stories I've read. <laughs> and otherwise, preventing boys from acting like boys. While the other assistant master, Glossop, has skills, he has no luck with the boys, well, they seem to have accepted Peter. He had been there a week and hadn't seen Ogden yet. In fact, the boy was not there. One day, Abney tells him he is going to London to talk to the parent of a boy who's coming to school. Augustus Beckford, Lord Montre's younger brother, who happens to know gossip before anyone else, as well as being able to hold his breath longer than any boy in school. For some reason, that's Yeah, necessary. I just love where he gives facts about characters that had nothing to like. He gave that fact about Lord Emsworth. Oh. Last book. I can't yeah. remember what the fact is. I don't remember either. He just gave a fact about him and then it just never came up. Yeah, it has no bearing on the story. Yeah. Uh, he tells Peter that it is Ogden who is coming to the school. Ogden does come, followed by Abney. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> who seems very worried. After thinking about how ugly Ogden is, Peter goes into the dining room with Abney, who tells Peter that Ogden has received little or no discipline in his life. He essentially pawns Ogden on Peter. <laughs> Peter goes to see Ogden and takes an immediate dislike <laughs> and once again ruminates about how ugly the boy is. <laughs> God, I love Woodhouse. <laughs> he tells Ogden to throw away the cigarette he is smoking. I'm trying to imagine this book being written now. Right? Well, plus, like, Ogden's 11. He's 14. He was 11 in the portrait. Oh. Yeah, I, I had the same issue. Okay. He, yeah, he... That's still not great. the portrait was when he was 11, and this is three years mm. later. Okay. So, yes, he is 14 and smoking. So much better than 11. Yes, definitely a lot better. And if you see the picture on the, the front of the book, he he does look more 11 than I mean, they're, they're different editions. Well, the one that, like, the one you put up on your YouTube page. Oh, that one? Yeah. yeah. He, he definitely looks like an 11-year-old in that. But uh, So he tells... Ogden to throw away the cigarette he is smoking. The boy does and then pulls out a cigarette case. Peter takes the case from him. They go back and forth with Peter telling Ogden he's to call him sir. Ogden doesn't take that well. 
talking about tutors, Ogden says he's had a million of them, and Peter wonders if they committed suicide. Peter is seeing some of his old self in Ogden, and if he was like Ogden, I don't know how anybody uh, became engaged to him at all. Uh, he says he's going to be his guardian angel. Peter says Ogden needs exercise, and the two of them will go running every day. He tells Ogden it's time for him to go to bed. Ogden refuses. Peter scoops him up and carries him to bed. Afterward, Peter thinks the kidnapping isn't going to be as easy as he thought. So a couple of my comments I had already spoken about with, like, gossip and then the use of the word austere. I did also have a comment about White because it's noted that his predecessor had left a sh at short notice during the holidays and White, the butler, had secured the vacancy at about the same time that Peter secured his. And I said, well, that's curious. Another kidnapper? You put that note while you're reading? Yeah, they're yeah. all like in real time while I'm reading. Yeah. I, don't, I don't go back. Which you, you will definitely see later on with some of my my theories. <laughs> well, yeah, I do that because sometimes I like. I wonder if this comes up again, and like it either does a lot or it's never mentioned at all. Yeah. Oh, I made a comment about Augustus. Um, I said he sounds useful, but is also annoying. Uh, he just talks too much. <laughs> I gotta be honest. He kind of disappears a little bit. He does from the novel, so that when he appears again, I'm like. Wait a minute, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Abney is, you know, trying to explain Ogden to Peter before they meet. And he says, uh, well, I have no doubt that he is a charming boy, quite charming. At present, he is, shall I say, peculiar. And I commented, you spelled rude wrong. <laughs> I, I have probably mentioned this before, but... Robin has a dimmer view on children than I do, I would say. Robin's views on children tend to align with Woodhouse, I would say. They're not that extreme. I do find children mostly annoying. I'm just thinking of some of the things. I wouldn't you... go as far as Woodhouse. I would never push a kid into a lake. I'm, I'm just remembering a conversation we had uh on the 23rd when we were visiting people and you read that and, the, and the topic of children came up your views i i don't want to use the word draconian i don't want to but it might be apt look in that conversation someone's personal boundaries were being crossed and I have a really big issue with kids crossing boundaries and thinking they can get away with it just because they're children. So. I, you're talking to the, the person who spent 18 years with you as a child. Uh-huh. And, and you weren't like a child who was like different from other children. Well, no. <laughs> I, I, that's not what I'm saying. It's, it's just interesting your views on children. Because you were a kid. You were a kid kid, not yeah. some weird children of the corn kid or Stepford wife kind of kid or anything. You are just a regular kid. Sure. Now you're like, yes, they must suffer. 
I don't want any kid to suffer. I just don't want them around me. Yeah, you're like, oh, they did something wrong and they suffered. Excellent. No, I believe the words as they should, because they should learn a lesson for their behavior, just like I would say for an adult. Except you don't say it as much for adults. <laughs> I don't know why you're putting me on blast on the podcast. Oh, I, I like the rhyme. Thanks. <laughs> I've never hidden the fact that I don't like children. I don't want them to suffer. I just don't want them around me. You hear that, kid? They don't count. I like them. <laughs> You know, Robin gets put on blast on the podcast. Going to be part of the description now. <laughs> Great. Um, so Peter, you know, sees. I'm listening. <laughs> you just, you reacted so suddenly. I thought I said something wrong. <laughs> I'm like, what? Is that not his name? <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm just hearing you. In case no one can tell, we're in person. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> if you, for some reason, are still listening to this next year, <laughs> Thanksgiving or Christmas, we'll probably do our podcast in person because I visit Robin at Thanksgiving and Robin visits me at Christmas. Yeah. And this is being done on the 27th of December. Yeah. So anyway... <laughs> Peter is interacting with Ogden and he has a thought of like, I found it impossible without physical violence to induce him to stop smoking. And I sort of made a comment of like, oh, okay, so it, it wasn't doubting or questioning, but it was like, oh, okay, so corporal discipline is a thing during this time. And like, oh, yeah. which I, I knew, but I just hadn't seen it really in Woodhouse books before. And so I don't yeah. think so. Okay. Well, yeah, I, trust me, you will. Okay, well, and so, and we didn't really see it that much in this book either, besides Peter, you know, lugging Ogden around. But it was just, it was something I didn't know for sure was in his universe. <laughs> I mean, I will point out that in, I believe, in the Pot Hunters, uh, a prefect solves something by fighting people. That's a prefect, though. Okay, but they're still in charge of discipline. But a prefect is another student. Yeah. Yeah. There's still leadership, authoritarian. I guess, but it's it's different. Hey, <laughs> Robin, it's okay if kids beat up other kids. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think corporal punishment should be a thing at all. <laughs> You're just mad all the times I beat you up. <laughs> yes, it's so prevalent throughout my childhood. By the way, it was not prevalent, just in case anybody's like. <laughs> That's what he says. My dad never hit me, except for that time when I was like three months old and tried to drink bleach. You weren't three months old. I don't know old. how old I was. If you were three months old under the sink, then I was really a bad parent <laughs> because you could barely move around. <laughs> that that would have meant you put me there. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, kid. <laughs> what were we talking about? You don't remember, do you? Bleach? No, I mean in the book, Corporal Punishment. Oh. 
Like, I don't know. I moved on from that. <laughs> I feel like as I'm getting older, my ADD is just getting worse. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Chapter three. Uh, Peter tells us he doesn't have the full details of his time at the school in any particular order, which I'm kind of like, come on, Woodhouse. <laughs> You're just like, eh. Someone I just got wanna, lazy. I just want to move ahead, so blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> he does talk about how Ogden introduced tobacco chewing to the school, which gross, and gambling, and who, when Abney, I'm still spelling it incorrectly, <laughs> finally succumbed to use a cane very delicately, <laughs> broke all the windows in all the bedrooms. That was Ogden who did it when Abney used the cane. Peter does talk about three events that did happen that he calls the Affair of the Strange American, the Adventures of the Sprinting Butler, and the episode of the Genial Visitor. For the Strange American, Peter takes his half day a week, he has half a day off, and goes into the village, in, into a pub, and sees a non-sober man who Peter identifies by the sound of his voice as a New Yorker. <laughs> and we know <laughs> how Woodlove Woodhouse loves his American accents, which he does write in. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> which I will say, and I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast before. You have. Have I? Yes. Okay. It's a really big pet peeve when <laughs> dialects are written. Well, we'll get to that more when it comes up. Oh, it gets so much worse. Yes. So. Uh, as Peter comes out, the man lurches out and he asks what the man is there for, but lets us know that we will find out in 30 hours. What else does a lot of foreshadowing? He's in this doing book? a look, and he, he's not doing it like foreshadowing you. I think when I experience it, it's like I'll read something and be like, oh, that's interesting, and then it'll show up later in the story. It's like, oh, but like he just he just says it, and that actually yeah, kind of bothers me. It's not. I say foreshadowing. It's more like forecasting, I guess I would I say. Guess. But he straight up says, like, in 30 hours in the book or whatever, you'll see why. And it's yeah. like, okay, great. It's something that, like, Stephen King does, like, in, in novels will say, and that was the last day that so-and-so saw this yeah. person or that was the last day this character was alive. Like, that's fine because Stephen King does it over, like, 600 pages. This is a 230-page I mean, he does book. do it multiple times in this book. I mean, sure. <laughs> but, like, like he does... Woodhouse does it a lot over a short novel. And yeah. I think that's why it stands out so much and why it bothers me. Yeah. So, as for the sprinting butler, one night Peter hears running feet, two pairs of running feet, and then a pistol crack. Peter calls out to the pursuer, who it turns out is white. White had found the other man. The butler. I uh, know. I, I know it's his name, but if if you're just if you're just sort of like listening, but not a fool. Full... Finds out the person is the butler White. The butler White had found the other man prowling at the back of the house. Peter's just <laughs> contract... a funny sentence. Peter's. Oh boy. The guy pursuing him was White. I'm just going to move forward. Okay. Peter suggests contacting the police, but the butler White has a very poor opinion of the country constables. Peter asks what he was doing with a revolver. 
The butler admits he is a detective. Peter sees how not knowing that fact could have caused him problems. The detective is employed by Elmer Ford. And every one of these, I have his name there, but I've changed it <laughs> to the detective now. He he is employed by Elmer Ford. Ford and uh, he requests Peter keep the information to himself. As for the genial visitor, a well-dressed man given the name Arthur Gordon of Pennsylvania stops by to inspect the school. Apparently people can just do this. He claimed to be a friend of Elmer Ford. Sure. He inspects everything and declares he had learned everything he wanted to know. Peter tells us that was the simple truth. As proved the same night. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, I, I did have a question. Sort of just about timeline. Because like, you know, Woodhouse is, has Peter be like, oh, I can't remember everything. Blah, 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 as a way of, you know, dancing around the timeline. Uh, and so one of my questions is just like, wait, so how long was he there? <laughs> but it sounds like it sounds like he was there for a full term. Yes. Which is it was surprising to me at the time because I it just I guess I went into it thinking he's like, oh he's gonna be there for like two weeks. And then it's like months later he's still yeah, there. But Peter is apparently not a great kidnapper. Oh, okay. I I had another question. Okay. About the billiards etiquette at the pub okay <laughs> uh, i'm gonna warn you right now i probably do not know the answer to this but go go ahead so okay so there's a pub in the book called feathers yes. where peter goes pretty much every wednesday which is his half day off and will play billiards mm -hmm. so he says there was a local etiquette governing the game of billiards at the feathers you played the marker 100 up then you took him into the bar parlor and bought him refreshment. He raised his glass and said to you, sir, and drained it at a gulp. After that, you could, if you wish, play another game or go home as your fancy dictated. Who the hell is the marker? I I was just so confused. Like, I did forewarn that I probably didn't know the answer. I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, because I was just like, that part stuck me for some reason. Like, I couldn't read the page. And I don't know if even the marker is a person or if it's just Billard term, yeah, or maybe like that's what they called a bet, or if it's if, if it's like some scoring thing or what? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, that that was a question I had. If anyone knows anything about billiards, please tell me. <laughs> Robin's like, you're old. You might know this thing from 110 years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think you're that old. Thanks for saying you don't think on that old. I'm like, she says, fully knowing his age. <laughs> you know when I was born. Um, and then another note was, you know, when Peter sees this, you know, it's specified East Side New Yorker, um, he sort of wonders, like, what this person could be doing in this little English town is beyond me to explain. And my question was, kidnapping? Um, so we'll, you know, come back to that later. I like how many of your comments are just like mystery science theater, like comments to the screen, basically. I needed something <laughs> to like, I was trying to solve it because I didn't care about the characters. I needed something. And then Peter later, when he runs into the butler and everything, he does ask himself like, how did White happen to have a revolver? 
And I did say, like, oh, is he supposed to be protecting Ogden? And then literally, like, <laughs> down that page, he says, I'm a detective. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I literally say, ah, okay, then. <laughs> but also, having had enough experience with Woodhouse sure. novel, including you, sure. you should know if somebody says there's something, doesn't necessarily mean that they're that something. That is true. If something says they're not something, they mm -hmm. probably are that something. And I... I also had the thought about the, the person who came to expect the school or whatever. Um, he, you know, he leaves and he said that he had learned all he wanted to know. And my note was another kidnapper. <laughs> I think you've broken the case. <laughs> Just like everyone's a kidnapper. Figured it out. Chapter four. That night, Peter finds himself unable to avoid Glossop although he has been trying to do so. Glossop is an amateur life insurance agent. And even saying that, I internally cringe. You know, everyone needs a, a, a side hustle. <laughs> Woodhouse wrote, nobody loves them, and they must see it, yet they persevere. <laughs> Something tells me Woodhouse has had some issues with life insurance agents. <laughs> Glossop has a way of making the 30 year old Peter feel like the age of 65 is right around the corner. Peter makes an excuse and leaves the room. Knowing Glossop could follow him to his room, he walks out the front door. He strolls around, still a bit under the spell of Glossop, and wonders about the infinite pathos of life and finds himself thinking about Audrey despite being engaged to Cynthia. Remember her? In the middle of his thoughts, he hears a scream which he identifies as being from Ogden. I don't know how I would identify the scream of Ogden among 24 boys. Yeah, okay. like I fear is just, he sounds just like a 14-year-old boy screaming. Yeah. <laughs> As he stands there wondering what to do with his pipe prepared to be lit, a short man comes around the corner and rams into him with both of them being pain. The man takes off. As Peter starts to recover, a hand is placed on his shoulder and someone tells him not to move. Many people are running around. The butler White comes around and says the person escaped. Someone mentions A.J. Raffles. Another reference. Yes. Abney, spelled it right, tells all the boys who are standing around in the cold to go back to bed, and Ogden comes out smoking a cigarette, pretty much making Abney lose his mind. Ogden says he believes the person was Buck McGinnis or Chicago Ed. The person but... I'm Peter speaks up, not in a whisper now, so he understands it as a woman. The butler wonders if Peter can share some information about the man, but Peter says, other than the powerfulness of his shoulder, not much. The woman behind him gasps. He turns to her, but can't see her because of the rays of the lantern. Peter shares the rest of the tale, and the woman, Mrs. Sheridan, says someone ran past her. The butler prepped probably moves the lantern so Peter can now see and he sees very familiar eyes. So a little bit into chapter four, I don't know, like two or three pages, um, Peter's still thinking about Audrey. Really, really focused on this woman he hasn't seen in five years. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's thinking about stuff that has no role at all in a novel. <laughs> well, and then, and then my comment was, I have to assume we will see Audrey at some point. 
It's almost as if you understand storytelling. <laughs> it's almost as I understand Woodhouse. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this person has a name. They're going to do something. Uh, pretty much my thought process. He So after Peter gets, you know, rammed in the, I believe, the solar plexus uh, by the person... I pretty much said I love that description, um, but pretty much what he said specific what he said specifically is all I know about him is that he has a shoulder like the ram of a battleship, and that he charged me with it. And I I liked that language. Chapter five. Peter realizes because of his engagement to Cynthia. Remember her. He will need to fight his feelings about Audrey. He feels that he must test this, so he goes to meet her. And chastises the person he used to be. She has an air of quiet strength about her. I I don't understand people having airs about them. I'm like I I've walked this planet for many many years. I many. do not recognize shut up. <laughs> recognize airs about people. Well, I assume it's sort of the same thing as like vibes. Eh. You know, like you talk to someone, you're like, oh, you have a weird vibe. <laughs> You have a weird air. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, while ruminating on this, I'm using that word a lot, this, Peter has been staring too long at her. He asks what she is doing there, saying he's only interested in the coincidence. She apologizes, and he says anyone could have mistaken him for a burglar, and she clarifies for five years previously. What? 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 She apologizes, and he says anyone could have mistaken her oh, for a burglar. Okay, and she clarifies that it was for five years previously. Okay, for ending the relationship. Yeah. Okay. He tries to laugh it off, making her believe he is still hard-hearted. They try to move past it and believe one of them should go, but both say they must stay here. He says he is engaged to be married. She has been widowed for three years. She had been in America until a few weeks ago. Elmer Ford had recommended her to Abney. Peter asked about her late husband, and she says he was an artist and a friend to her father, but he can see that she wishes to not talk about the man. She says Peter has gotten thinner, and after he makes a joke, she says that he hates her and walks away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he calls to her and explains that her leaving him made him realize the type of man he was. She asks if there can be no embarrassment between the two of them, and if they can just be old friends who had a misunderstanding and have come back together as friends. He agrees. They go into breakfast, and there is a letter from Cynthia waiting. Remember her? So one of my first notes in this chapter, chapter five, was just me being like, called it uh, when it was confirmed it was Audrey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing you have a lot of notes at the end. Then. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> and then when they're having their conversation, I made a note of like, they're going to get back together. <laughs> Literally, I wrote sing song voice. <laughs> I mean, okay. That's no great pronostication there. I mean. Is that a word? Yeah. It is? Prognostication, yeah. Okay. I've never heard that word before. I'm not doubting you. I've just literally never I heard mean, it. I mean, boy, you're looking at me. I've just literally never heard it or seen it. Prognostication. I said prog instead of prog, but... Hmm, all right. Prognostication. <laughs> no, I didn't think it was, but this is just me making comments as I read. And then explaining them to you, like you want me to. 
That was also I, all I have for chapter five. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chapter six. <laughs> Cynthia's letter pretty much says, what the hell, Peter? <laughs> You're taking too long. <laughs> Mulling over this, he walks to reflect on it, only to realize he's being followed. He creeps back and surprises the person who is startled but does not run away. Peter tells the man to get back, but the voice says he's not going to start anything. Peter asks why the man is following him, and he recognizes the voice as the man who had been at the pub. The man says he knows what Peter is about, and Peter surmises it was he who ran into Peter that night. As a side note, Woodhouse is writing this man's dialect in an American quote unquote, quote unquote accent that honestly feels a bit insulting. <laughs> I... My first note in this chapter. <laughs> I actually I shouldn't have made that comment, so you could have commented on it. All I said was, "I hate this." <laughs> <laughs> it's a. I will say, Woodhouse and American accents generally are not great. It does feel vaguely insulting, even though it, I'm not a New Yorker. <laughs> it, like Americans are so dumb. How dumb are they? Well, listen to this. <laughs> Yeah, the man says he knows Peter, except he uses the name Sam. Smooth Sam Fisher. Peter, without admitting, without admitting he is not Sam, asks if he's speaking to Buck McGinnis. He is. Peter asks Buck if he would be surprised if Peter was named Burns and was a master at the school. Buck thinks that's exactly what Sam would do. <laughs> Buck wants to go 50-50 on the deal. Peter says he should ask the real Sam, but Buck doesn't buy that and says he'll take a quarter. Also, Buck expectorates a lot in this chapter. Not my word. It's a word Woodhouse uses. I looked it up, but I forgot to write it down. Okay, let me look it so, up. But Woodhouse, I don't recall him using this word before, although he probably has, but he really hammers it in this chapter. Buck gets angry at Sam's and says he'll get his. Oh, uh, cough or spit out phlegm from the throat. Yeah, no, nice. yeah, yeah. Actually, I like expectorates a lot more. It doesn't sound as gross. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, Peter Tyke. What? <laughs> Words. Peter talks to the butler, detective, who says he knows both men, but that Buck is nothing compared to Sam. <laughs> the butler says Sam is in England But he doesn't look anything like Peter He talks about how Sam is a college man <laughs> Come on Peter, you gotta know <laughs> Peter, is, who has been wondering what Buck meant by fix Finally gets the answer When the butler tells him he might try to put one over on him With a sandbag As in being hit with one I, I don't know where all these sandbags are just yeah. hanging around. Why but are they just, sandbags are heavy. Why are they just be, carrying Because them we do run into sandbags yeah. in future chapters. So Someone does get sandbags. Yeah, they're just... But again, they're heavy. A tool of trade, I guess. I, guess. I mean, are you like going out and shoveling sand into the bag? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Could you put your head down? Hold on. <laughs> Um, so besides my comment about how I hate written dialect, I also made a comment that Buck made me, he, he reminded me of like a quote unquote nice guy. Cause he's like, 
he's like sweet talking peter he's like oh we should go 50 50 we should work together and then like peter's like no because i'm not sam and also this no he immediately changes he's like oh i'm gonna fix you and hit you with the sandbag like i, I mean as yeah. soon as he doesn't get what he wants i i i i see your point and it makes sense i just i never would have looked at it that way i i guess i was just like oh he's a common uh, low-level crook well sure <laughs> but he, he also like i know you've never experienced that i think i think i would know if you've interacted with a quote-unquote nice guy um i i no <laughs> <laughs> well i don't i don't want to make assumptions um <laughs> again you've known me for a long time i don't know who you talk to you do <laughs> we talk all the time you know what goes on in my life <laughs> so, people are gonna think i just made up a daughter and, and forcing a stranger <laughs> to do a podcast with me i'm not with you every minute of every day <laughs> i forgot what i was gonna say uh, um, but that's what it feels yeah, like nice it's like guy. yeah it's like you're talking to someone, you're having like a decent conversation. You say you're not interested in whatever they're proposing. And it's like, oh, well, you're just a beep. <laughs> I know the one time Why I thought not to swear. <laughs> that's too rude. Yeah, that's offensive. Oh, okay. And then later when Peter is talking to the butler about this whole, this whole thing. Too, too white. Too white, yes he oh peter asks like oh does sam fisher look like me and white of course says no and so i had a question I'm like oh is white actually sam i mean good on you but <laughs> quite honestly yeah no it was pretty heavy-handed yeah <laughs> <laughs> there were blinking neon lights and they didn't even have them then uh but that was my last note chapter seven Peter and Audrey are slowly becoming reacquainted. Peter feels like he's beginning to know her in a way and not during his during his engagement to her. And he hasn't proposed marriage despite being engaged to Cynthia. Remember her? Which is weird for Woodhouse. On his Wednesday afternoon off, it is raining, so he has stayed in the study. Audrey comes in complaining of the cold, so he sets her up near the fire. Peter mentions her playing of the piano, which reminds him of one night in which she apparently tried to kill a dog by feeding it chocolate. I made that note, too. I was like, you poisoned the dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he Woodhouse doesn't say that trying to kill the dog, but it's like talking about feeding a dog chocolate. I'm like, yeah, it literally but that will kill the dog. And it's like, Woodhouse should know that because he had lots of dogs. It literally said... You know, they came up to us, and you, Audrey, gave them chocolates. And it's like, oh my god! And then they went away and fell over dead. I like that we both picked that out. Well, I'm just like, because I'm like, I, I, like, lock the Christmas cookies up in here, yeah, so the dogs won't get in because I know there's chocolate in a lot of the cookies, yeah. and I'm just like, you killed those dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they both seem to think that this was a good thing. They, they bonded feel, so much over it. They feel about dogs like you feel about children. 
You didn't write that, did you? No. Like, <laughs> like, I just ad lived it. Great. <laughs> he says she's. <laughs> did you just give me stink eye? No, I would never do that. <laughs> she, he says she plays better. She says she's more experienced with a bit of bitterness. She talks about her experience of being a nurse and then a waitress. Then she was on the stage and then dressmaking. So all the Woodhouse careers. And then she met Mr. Ford through a foreign student of her father's. And she became Ogden's governess. And now she's there as his ex-governess? It's not really explained. I, I, I don't fully know why she's there she doesn't she's really supposed have... to keep an eye on ogden but but she doesn't have a role in the house what yeah what her actual role is we don't really know i i honestly for a while there i was like is she trying to kidnap him too i did want to <laughs> like is she is she also a kidnapper but i i i i kind of believe woodhouse feels that women generally shouldn't be kidnapping so he wouldn't have her doing it and if they do, it's just a short-term thing like Cynthia did. Right, because it's man's work. Yeah. <laughs> Women can be kidnappers if they want to. It's about equal Equal rights. rights. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking a hard stance on that one. <laughs> equal rights. Not the kidnapping. <laughs> nope. Only women can be kidnappers now. That's my stance. No, nope, that's also not the stance we're taking. <laughs> There's something in the light that makes him see her differently. I don't know, probably the air. <laughs> and they both rise, and she trips and ends up in his arms. I did an eye roll. You didn't see it. Robin did, though. Yeah. She recovers and leaves. Peter realizes he does feel something for her. <laughs> So when they're, after they talk about poisoning the dog, um, you know, Peter's like, oh, you play piano so well. And she's like, oh, it's because I have more experience. I'm like, no, it's because you've been apart for five years and you've probably played piano in that time. So you've gotten better. So she has more experience. But she was. <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. She was, she said, like, specifically, it's knowledge and life experience. Yeah. And I'm well, like, you've practiced piano in the past five years. <laughs> I was just like. Oh, baby. <laughs> I mean, if that was the case, I would be ripping out songs on my bass <laughs> rather than just have it sitting on the wall. <laughs> um, those are my only notes for the chapter. <laughs> just be like, there are going to so, be so many notes at the end. So Audrey poisoned a dog yes. and then tried to claim that life experience made her a better piano player. <laughs> Peter's a kidnapper and Audrey's a dog murderer. <laughs> They're perfect. <laughs> perfect together. Do not feed chocolate to dogs. Don't By do the that. way, if you hadn't gotten that message already from us, <laughs> do not do it. I like that we litter PSAs throughout our podcast. <laughs> well, like just so people are aware. Some people may say, ah, oh, I've seen a dog eat some chocolate and it was okay. That may be the case with just a little bit of chocolate. But yeah, but don't risk it. Don't risk it. <laughs> Chapter 8. Peter is expecting Buck to act. I, I, I assume I meant as kidnapping, not as like in a Broadway play or something. I think you'd be great in a Broadway play. <laughs> Listen, yous! Jeez. <laughs> it snowed and the boys are acting up. The bell rings. It keeps ringing. And then White goes to the door and Peter hears a thud. 
A short, sturdy man in a coat and cap and part of his face covered comes in with a pistol. Several other masked men are there. The masked man with Peter asks where Ogden is. It's not Buck. That's under the mask. He, Peter can tell by the voice. Peter says he's not there. Another masked man comes in and says Ogden isn't in the other room. This is Buck. Buck calls him Sam. The other man, hearing Buck call Peter Sam, wants to blow his head off. <laughs> I was like, for for Sam, who we learn is like kind of this gentlemanly mm -hmm. kidnapper, sure has a lot of enemies. <laughs> Buck won't allow it. Peter says, again, Ogden is not there. Sam says he will search the house room by room and take Peter with him. Buck is annoyed at Peter, talking old fancy. And the other man asks for a third time if he can shoot Peter, <laughs> believing he's Sam. Peter gets a cramp from holding his hands up and wants to put them down. Buck tells Lefty to, what, why does it have to be Lefty? Well, because left-handed people are evil. Everyone knows that. Notice what <laughs> notice what hand I'm doing this with. <laughs> Obviously, I don't think left-handed people are evil. I haven't seen any proof to the contrary. <laughs> they start to search the house. <laughs> In the hall, Peter sees White tied up. Peter will find out later that a sandbag has been used on him. They meet another gang member who wants to beat the block off Sam, Peter. They run into a few sick boys upstairs, and Peter asks if one of them might not do us a replacement. <laughs> Sam is austere with him. No, I, I think I meant Buck is austere with him there. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was I, like, Sam is knocked out. Yeah, Sam's knocked out <laughs> pretty severely. <laughs> <laughs> they hear Abney sneeze, and Buck says to open the door. They go in, and... Buck prods Abney. I don't think I mentioned before, but Abney is sick. He has a cold. Peter finds himself between Buck and the door. He turns the switch off, turns the switch off and runs into the study where he seems to remember there's a water spout. Hi, Robin. Yeah, I have a note about that. By the <laughs> we have a history with water spouts. <laughs> By the window. Shots ring out. After a brief panic in the study, Peter goes out the window. He, he feels something hit his shoulder. It is pitch dark at this point, so the pursuers do not run out after him, but another runs from the front door. Buck is also out. Neither of them can see Peter. He tackles Buck in his waist region. <laughs> no, you have to read it. I, I, I wrote, well, I meant uh, <laughs> Peter tackles Buck in his waist region, but I wrote Peter who tackles Buck in his waist religious. Yes, he did it very uh, religiously. Uh, yeah, he, he had a lot of faith, is what I meant. <laughs> Peter takes off again. He's near the car that the uh, masked men came in and sees some of the gang walk dejectedly. The chauffeur asks if they got him, but they say no and that Buck's leg is broken. They get in the car and go. Peter releases White. The gang had locked Glossop and children in a room. Peter sees Audrey and says, everything is all right. She asks where Ogden is. Before he can answer, White lets everyone out of Glossop's room. Audrey had called the police. The police come and interview Burns. No one can find Ogden or the boy Beckford. 
Augustus, who I'd forgotten about by this point. It is believed that the boys took off together to London and that someone should go there. Abney has the cold, so Peter is picked. So this is the one time Abney doesn't want to go to London. Peter talks to White about getting a train. White's reaction is strange. Peter packs and comes down to see Audrey, who explains she goes everywhere Ogden is, and if he is not found, she will be fired. From what job, we don't know. Peter had given Ogden money to go to London, and unless he could reach Ogden with his valet Smith, Ogden would be on a boat train to Monaco. So it's getting a little bit more complicated now. Um, so at the beginning of the chapter, Peter pretty much acknowledges that he's expecting like a what he calls a frontal attack from Buck. Um, he's not expecting it to be subtle. But he says that when the attack came, it was so excessively frontal that my chief emotion was a sort of paralyzed amazement. And he says that it seemed incredible that such peculiarly wild Western events could be could happen in peaceful England. And I was like, oh, did they have a shootout? <laughs> Which honestly would be really funny. Just like at the end of a, a hallway, they each take two steps and they oh. draw their pistol. Well, it was like they kind of had a shootout. I mean, they kind of Only did. one side was shooting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there was also another use of the word austere. I did enjoy that sometimes Peter has a very dry sense of humor, I guess. Mm. Although I don't think he's trying to be funny. Um, <laughs> but Lefty is pretty much, you know, begging to be able to... He's begging for permission to shoot Peter. Mm -hmm. And Peter pretty much has a thought of like, I could never have made a friend of him. It's like, Good, good, good job. <laughs> you don't want to be friends with someone who's begging to shoot you. Um, I also noted that everyone seems to hate Sam, who at the moment is Peter, which I thought was interesting. At the moment, everybody believes yes. is Peter. Yes. Um, there's another use of the word austere in this chapter. Oh, yes. And then Peter is, you know, in Mr. Abney's room with Buck. And he said, I seem to remember a water spout that ran up the wall close to the window. And he said, no, stop climbing water pipes. They're made of iron at that time. They will tear up your hands. It's not a good escape plan. I mean, it's, it's something I never thought I would have to explain. Robin, once again, fact-checking the man who actually lived during those times about something she doesn't have any personal experience have you, have you ever touched a water pipe made of iron like that it's very rough i again i have to assume that woodhouse having been to boarding school and definitely having gone out after curfew probably has experience with water pipes i maintain my point it's just another thing that i can yell at woodhouse about being wrong about Again, cold showers and water pipes. Like, I maintain. I also made a comment about Peter being dumb and not realizing the window was locked before he was trying to open it. Why is that dumb? He didn't look to see it was locked. But he's he's trying to open. He's like, oh my god, it won't open. Why won't it open? And then he happens to like flail around and then he moves the catch. He's like, oh no, it opens. Like, 
That was dumb. See, Robin, who is always a cool, calm customer in any type of customer, cool, calm customer. Yeah, it's a phrase. I thought it was cucumber. But well, it can be cucumber too. But never heard customer. You're saying so many words and phrases I've never heard before. Again, I'm not doubting you. I've never heard anyway. It. <laughs> Robin has always been calm under pressure and has never flailed around in an anxious situation. I'm not calling him dumb because he flailed. I'm calling him dumb because he was literally like, I don't know why the window wasn't opening. Anywho. I, I'm just saying, and I won't go into full details, but you are the person who tried to start a car that was not the car that you had been in many times it before was dark. and didn't look anything like the It car. was dark. <laughs> it was not even the same type of car. It was dark. Okay. You may go on. <laughs> Cool as a cucumber customer. I mean, I've never heard that phrase before. Well, that phrase doesn't exist. <laughs> um, I did give Peter some credit because he he said he you know towards the end of the chapter he had a reckless fury and a determination to do somebody whoever happened to come along grievous bodily hurt, and I said I get that when so many shitty things have happened you just want to strike out. Because you're so frustrated. So I'm like, okay, that's understandable. I, I like how your one time of giving Peter credit is when he just wants to lash out because shit's been going bad. Yeah, I get it. He's having a hard okay, time. I understand you getting it. I don't think that's something you give credit for. Why not? Why wouldn't you give credit for that? Hey, Paul, I really like when things are going bad. You just lashed out at the first person that came to the door. <laughs> you made us really proud, man. <laughs> um, anyway, so after all this, pretty much it's, it's tea time. <laughs> and for you or for them? For them. <laughs> And so Woodhouse says, if there's anything exciting enough to keep the English man or English boy from his tea, it is yet to be discovered. And I just said, yep. <laughs> I'm a big tea drinker. I <laughs> Tea time is very important. <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> Dad is not a tea drinker. He does not understand. I also, so, okay. Um, who I'm trying to remember who this person is. What's the name? Bones? Oh, the the police police officers. Okay. Oh yeah. I was, I was like, like, who the hell is okay, this person? I, was going, I don't remember bones. So the police officers are there. Did I skip ahead of anything? Uh, no. No, I don't think no, so. No, you they, just didn't talk about. I didn't. I, I mean, because yeah, there were a lot of things. Okay. So the police officers are there, and um, they're asking like what happened, and Peter like okay. <laughs> I'm just so confused by the sentence. Peter was explaining what happened, and he's like, the masked men. And one of the officers is like, masked men? And Peter says, with revolvers. Now, aren't you glad you didn't go to the circus? And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Why are we bringing up circuses right now? There was an, almost a kidnapping. Like, I was so confused <laughs> by where that came from. Because to me, it feels like 
Peter is being shitty to the police officers for no reason. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I was just like, okay. I was like, I thought maybe like he had made yeah. like a, a small yeah reference that's like, oh, okay. When he's saying go to circus, he referring to this, but no, I don't. No, yeah. So it was just it was just really funny. Apparently, I didn't comment on it at that time. Maybe I did later, um, but. Abney has a cold, mm -hmm. and his dialogue is written as someone who has a cold. Yeah, Somebody had the cold. All the M's are B's. All the B's are M's or something. Like so much of it has changed. I do have a comment somewhere, but I don't know where it is. He wanted a bastard, <laughs> and I hate it so much <laughs> because it to me it's even worse than a dialect. <laughs> This is the time where it may be better to listen to this part in audiobook form. Sure. Than to read it. Sure. Because hearing it, yeah. I think, is better than reading. Yes. I, I agree with that. But because I read it, I hated it. <laughs> I'll be quite honest. I, I skipped a lot of his time. <laughs> fair oh okay so this is in going into the next chapter but it has nothing to do with what's happening in the chapter it's about abney okay i found where i made my note because he says and i'm gonna say it the way it's spelled dodd says i and my note was see this is why you don't write in accents or dialects i can't actually tell what this word is supposed to be nonsense to be fair, I was like, because I did read that one, I was like, what? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, nonsense. Yeah. Okay. But it, yeah, it just still really bothers me. <laughs> so, all right. I don't like it. I don't. Chapter nine. Peter had decided the only way to remove Ogden was to have him remove himself. He provided Ogden a trip to meet with his valet Smith not knowing that Ogden would get Augustus to go too. Peter realizes he must undo this now to save Audrey's job. White tells Peter Abney would like to see him. Abney tells Peter White has confessed that he is actually a detective. Abney tells him White will accompany Peter to London, which screws Peter's plans. On the train, Peter tries to bury himself in a book, but White says he plans to stick to Peter to find out the address Peter gave to Ford that morning. As Peter has Ogden and White has Peter, he wants to go in 50-50. He says that he is smooth Sam Fisher. It, basically, he overhears Peter, and I'm kind of like, uh, I mean, okay. Why is the butler in the stables? Yeah. I mean, it, and it's not like it's not the last time that White is or Sam is just gonna overhear something. Mm -hmm. It's like there are many ways you can do this. Feels kind of cheap. Yeah. Peter tells Sam his goals, but Sam doesn't believe him. Poor Peter keeps saying, "Listen, I'm not this person," and like, "No, yes, you are," <laughs> and he's not. <laughs> I I write. These kidnappers are quite the untrusting lot. <laughs> Sam is at least easier to read than Buck. Peter can't help but warming to him a bit. 
And Sam talks about his life and an agreement he made with the woman to make enough money to buy a home and come back to marry her. Why haven't you, asked Peter. Crooks are the easiest marks, says Sam, including himself. The woman married, but the husband has died, and she is still fond of Sam. The train starts to slow down, and Peter is out and in a taxi before the train is stopped. He gets to his flat and is told by Smith the boy hasn't arrived. Sam arrives there and says since Ogden isn't around, the plans have altered, and he will seek him on his own. I made a note once Sam confesses who he is. I just said, called it. <laughs> Very proud of you. Thank you. I usually miss things like that. So. <laughs> Honestly, if you had missed this one, I, I would have been like, you want to go get a brain scan? <laughs> Chapter 10. Peter goes in search of Ogden without finding him. Peter analyzes his feelings about Audrey, giving it far more thought than Woodhouse protagonists usually do. A second day passes. And he wonders if he should return back to the school. But since Abney gave no time limit, he stays. Well, while writing a telegram, he thinks about young Beckford, since a boy like him wouldn't run away without a reason. Peter decides he might be at Lord Montry's. Lady Roxham, probably mispronouncing that, Montry's mother, uh, says Augustus is there. He goes to see Augustus and Ogden. Ogden sends Augustus off and explains how he figured he had a few days to spend and said he, he'd be glad to go to his mom's now. But Peter says he's going back to school. They go to a show together. Fisher comes to Peter's flat, having seen the two of them getting into a cab together. Okay. Sam tries to get him to join up again, but Peter won't. And Sam says he will... Go with him back to the school. Peter's surprised he would go back, and Sam says Peter won't give him up since he has his secrets too, and no one will believe him. Chapter 11. <laughs> At school, Ogden's bed is moved closer to Peter's. Peter is wondering about his feelings for Cynthia. Remember her? He thinks that if he could only see or hear from her, his struggle would be easier. Then he receives a letter from her asking if his feelings are still the same. He writes back, that he does, but upon reflection of later time, believes it was mainly his fretted nerves. Going to mail the letter, he runs into Audrey and tries to act formal to her. She asks if he is worried about something, and he says not. There is silence and coldness between them, and it widens to the point that they barely speak to each other in coming days. This should have been satisfactory to Peter, and yet it is not. Chapter 12. The term is coming to close, and Peter wants to quit himself with the whole business. However, he still feels responsible to keeping Ogden safe for Audrey. Sam does nothing and acts the butler. Peter tells us it was pure chance that defeated Sam's next attempt. That evening, Peter, who hadn't been sleeping well, forgoes the after-dinner coffee and lies down. It is dark in the room, and he hears the door open and knows that there can only be one person who it is. Uh, why couldn't it be someone else? But okay. He talks to Sam, who reacts but recovers quickly. Sam had drugged the coffee so that anyone drinking it would be knocked out. Sam admits his defeat this time. On the last day, Abney asked Peter to accompany Audrey with the boy, Ab 
Oh, with the boy. Abney calls White or Sam and brings it up. First, White says he doesn't need anyone, but when Abney insists, he says Peter meant to kidnap Ogden himself. Sam produces Cynthia's letter. Peter can think of nothing to say and goes to pack his bags. Sam helps him. So at the beginning of chapter 12, Peter is Peter's just done. Um, he just wants to be done with it all. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he pretty much says that, like, if Mrs. Ford's happiness depended on the recovery of the little nugget, she must learn to do without happiness like the rest of the inhabitants of this horrible world. <laughs> and, and I just said, here, here. Uh, <laughs> I agreed with that statement. And... Okay, I was like, I was like, I don't think that's all I had. <laughs> Sixty-nine notes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I pretty much made a copy. Uh, I made, I made a word. <laughs> I made a comment about Peter being too cocky. Um, uh, at some point, and that well, it's not the only time I make that comment. So, I, I, yeah, I felt that he was just being a little too impressed with himself. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> took too long. Moving on. No, go ahead. So when um, Peter is essentially kicked out, Sam winks at him behind Abney's back, which I said because he he actually did it twice in the scene, and I said that it made Sam feel more like a Bond villain in that he's like explaining like this is how i'm screwing you over and i feel like sam did that a couple times so i'm just like gee i wonder if that's gonna blow up in your face although i will say peter also does that <laughs> so it's you know it's whatever okay now i'm done since you're apparently so eager to chapter, chapter 13 peter <laughs> chapter 13 Peter, meaning to foil Sam, believes he won't do anything until the next day. Okay. so For goes, some reason. Yeah. So Peter goes to London. Then he comes back the next day with a pistol. Checking in, checking in to the hotel, he then decides to go to the school, but he doesn't see Audrey. He calls her up and asks her to meet him. Although she is cold with him, she agrees. He tells her about Sam. She believes Mrs. Ford wrote Peter the letter, which I she's met Mrs. Ford, I assume. Yeah, she since, has. So I don't know why, not to be rude, I don't know why she would think a young millionaire would want to <laughs> be with Mrs. Ford. Peter says she did, but moves on and says he will help Audrey guard Ogden. So for some reason, he doesn't mentioned that it wasn't Mrs. Ford. The, the, the reason being so that he can bring it up later. No other reason, really. She returns to her coldness and says, well, he may be right about Sam. She doesn't trust Peter. Peter leaves her and goes back to the inn where he sees Buck McGinnis, although Buck does not see him. I don't have any notes on no, the subject. <laughs> Chapter 14. Peter asked the barmaid about the man, and she confirms it was the American who had been there before. 
Peter calls the school again and warns Sam. When Sam asks why he did it, Peter says sarcastically that he loves Sam. I'm sure Robin won't make anything out of this. So I have a note on that. Yeah, okay. But my note is not what you're expecting. I said, weird reply, but okay. Okay. I did not make anything of it. because it's quite restrained of you, actually. I didn't care about them. <laughs> I don't want them to be in love with each other in a very, very deep subtext. I do not care. Aww. <laughs> that really shows you, I think, how boring this book, book was. This book broke Robin's gay subtext. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much what happened. <laughs> I didn't try to find any gay subtext. <laughs> the next day, Peter comes to the school again. He goes to Sam and says he's putting him out of the house. Sam laughs at him, but Peter is insistent, and Sam accepts this. <laughs> Peter tells Audrey what is happening. He and Audrey form a combative team. Well, not a team, according to Audrey. Sam calls and wants to meet. For some reason, Peter says, sure, I'll meet with you, person who is trying to kidnap a child and also who has basically stabbed me in the back, sort of. So they do meet, and Sam has Buck in the car with them. Sam says the two of them have gone into partnership. They are willing to give Peter a commission, but Peter declines. After they exit the house, someone fires at Peter, but misses. He goes to call the police, but realizes the line has been cut. So besides the I love you comment, uh, when Peter comes back to the house, he sees that Sam is like taking a nap and he's like sleeping with his feet up and he has a handkerchief over his face for some reason. And I guess that he was faking it. Um, he wasn't, but that was just sort of my, my in real time guess. And oh, I also <laughs> another explanation well not i guess not really another example of how i didn't even try to find a gay subtext because i, I really could have easy with this one um peter says i prodded sam gently in the center of the rising territory beyond the black trousers and i had to read that sentence a couple times i'm like oh he means his belly <laughs> not something else and so my my comment was like that's a weird way to say his belly <laughs> I, I like how you're saying I, I, I didn't think the gay subtext but here's all the reasons why <laughs> one I have one I'm just saying it was weird I'm just saying weird thing um so you you made a comment earlier about how yeah I'm still talking. <laughs> well yeah I can hear you. Dad's like pulling up his nose, ready to go into the next chapter. Um, chapter no. <laughs> so you had made a comment about how you like Peter and Sam's dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's not like my favorite well, dynamic sure. in the yeah. world. But yeah, I, I'm just saying they had more chemistry than Peter and Audrey. <laughs> I mean sure I will I will agree with that. But my issue was that, like, especially towards the end of the story, Sam started being really condescending because he's apparently older than Peter, although that's never explicitly said. Well, also near the end of the novel, 
Sam kind of has the upper hand. Sure. Whereas previously, you didn't really have the upper hand. So mm -hmm. you can act one way when you have the upper hand where you can't act the same way. Sure. When you don't. But yeah, it was just, it was just another. Or didn't you know that? Just another pet peeve of people acting like they're they're so much wiser just because they happen to be older. Um and so the the idea that like Sam's like, all right, trot along, kiddo, and quit disturbing uncle. I'm like, okay, go die in a fire. Like, like stop being a condescending prick just because you're older. Are, are you projecting? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes, but not 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 on you. <laughs> I I've had people in various careers that I've had try to explain that they know more about something just cuz they have more life experience and I told them they were wrong because being and then I made them die in a <laughs> being older does not automatically mean you have more life experience. You don't know everything that someone has gone through. And so it really bothers me when people treat me like that. And so it bothered me in this context that Peter was being treated that way. <laughs> so I cut Peter some more slack. Uh, later in that chapter, Peter, I think, is interacting with Audrey. And he said, "I he thought, I guess, I looked at her critically and told myself that her spell was broken at last, that if she disliked me, I was at least indifferent to her. And my comment was, that's not usually something you have to tell yourself, my dude. <laughs> like, you don't have to actually say, like, I don't care that she doesn't like interacting with me. I'm not bothered by this at all. Like, you don't actually say that to yourself. You're just like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, so... It's a case of he doth protest too much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, because because if he really didn't, then yeah, he wouldn't have mentioned yeah, it all. That's that's so obviously by him mentioning it, you mean yes. Like, but really, <laughs> yes, that is what I was saying. That's all him. Because because if the story was just written from him knowing what the hell he was talking about, it would be a much shorter book. <laughs> Chapter 15 They wake up Ogden and let him know that Sam and Buck are after them Audrey and Peter want to slip out but Ogden points out it's raining and he doesn't want to They go but Sam had anticipated this and there are gang members who luckily fall over themselves allowing them to go to the stables Peter discovers he has left his ammunition in the house which he doesn't tell the others they are cornered, and Sam points out that they found the shells Peter had forgotten. Peter says the first person who comes up will be shot. The gang starts yanking off tiles from the roof. Ogden says he's coming out and lowers himself down. Audrey breaks down in tears, and Peter comforts her, and then she slips away. So, at the beginning of this chapter, so while all this is happening at the house, and Peter's running around talking to Sam and Audrey and making all these plans or what have you, <laughs> my I made a note just I said unrelated because it was completely unrelated to what I had highlighted. I'm like, what does Ogden think of all this? He just sort of disappeared into the background. Obviously he shows up again in the book, but at that point we had gone like three chapters without really seeing him. Yeah. And so it's just like Well, I did tell you that Yes. He sort of becomes less prominent. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
he's he's an old hat at this. He yes. is used to being kidnapped. Yes. Uh, and then later, you know, when Peter drags him out into the rain and Ogden complains, <laughs> I made a comment. I'm like, look, he obviously doesn't care about being kidnapped, so just let him go. <laughs> just let him go. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I, I had said this to you earlier or I just thought I said it to you earlier because I thought bringing it up would be a good thing to do. But it reminds me, uh, you remember uh, the book we read for the family book club, The Skies Belong to Us? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's like that. People are so used back at that time mm -hmm. to planes being hijacked. Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, folks, we're being hijacked. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of like that with mm -hmm, kidnapping. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm being kidnapped again. Yeah, yeah. You know. Let's get it over with so I can get out of the rain. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. it was just one of those things where it's like, look, he obviously doesn't care, so just, just let him. Um, and obviously, you know, by the end of the chapter, he does exactly that. It's like, see? Um, when they're, like, they're running across the yard in the rain trying to get to this stable or whatever, they're being shot at. And I made a comment of, like, it seems crazy to shoot at the kid that you're trying to kidnap. Like, you can't ransom a corpse. And then, literally, the next page, Ogden said pretty much exactly that. <laughs> He's like, I can't believe they were shooting at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's generally, if you kidnap somebody, you kind of want the ransom money. So you got to give supply yeah. and demand there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And then I highlighted when Ogden literally says, I've got a good mind to walk straight out through that door and let them rope me in, a.k.a. kidnap. And I just said, okay, do it. <laughs> I was tired of him. And so he did. <laughs> and so he did. By the time Peter was like, oh, I left the ammunition in the house, so my gun is empty. I, pretty much, I made a comment of the other reason I think that I just didn't really enjoy this book. It's just like, I feel like there's just too much up and down. Like, there's like, Peter has the upper hand. Oh, no, he doesn't. But now he does. Oh, no, he doesn't. And like, it just come, going back and forth, back and forth. And I said, it, it's not like a slowly building bomb like it was in hot water. Because they were up and down in hot water. But like, okay. it was just, the tension was just building, though, even if it was up and down. This just feels literally like a roller coaster and not in a good way. I see what you're saying. It's kind of like a cat and mouse game, but neither the cats or the mice are really doing anything to affect that change. It's just like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, like it just it just feels pointless. Like, there's, like I said, there's no tension. Um, and so if if I don't, A, really care about the characters... And B, there's no real tension in the plot. Why am I reading the book? <laughs> and then Peter acknowledges that because he wasn't really paying attention to Ogden, he didn't think that Ogden would literally jump down a hole into the arms of his kidnappers. Uh, and I pointed out, I was like, well, he did tell you several times, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> say what you will about the kid. He's pretty honest about, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was tired of running around with someone that he considered an idiot, so he went to someone else. Like, he said that many times. <laughs> so, that was it. 
Chapter 16. Peter walks to the train station and gets on and goes to London. He's there for a few days, and then he comes back. Peter's made a habit of just going to London and coming back. I'm really curious about how close London is. <laughs> he finds Audrey. She says they should forget the embrace they had, but Peter says he loves her. They castigate themselves to each other, but Peter says all the blame is his. She admits her husband was not kind to her. I will say, so one of my notes was I had wondered throughout part of it is if Buck was actually her husband. Because oh. <laughs> honestly, I felt like that would have made it way more interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but from what I it know of both characters, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense, but I was just like, well, they went to America. Buck's American. <laughs> yeah. See, the problem with that is that her husband just can't be alive. Because otherwise, the two of them can't get together. Sure. Uh, she admits her husband was not kind to her, but that she also compared him to Peter. But Peter admits himself he wasn't that great before, so... So who are you comparing him to? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> okay. Peter tells her he came to say goodbye, but he can't because of his love. She says he is engaged to Mrs. Ford. He corrects her that it is to Cynthia. Remember her? And he does not love her, but that she does appear to love him. Peter, great reader of women. <laughs> Audrey says he must marry her. She explains she has been calculating and trying to win him from Mrs. Ford, but now that she knows it is another woman, she cannot do this. It was okay with Mrs. Ford, I guess. Well, I mean, she knows Mrs. Ford. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Ford is not a great catch, but still... She says goodbye, but he says he won't let her go. Suddenly, a car comes with two women. One is Cynthia's mother, and he does not know the other. During this conversation where they're talking about their relationship from five years ago and whatever, and Audrey is like, oh, all our interactions were calculated. I was going to try to steal you away from Mrs. Ford, blah, 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 blah. And I'm kind of like, were you? Well, she, she makes a comment. Like, what? Oh, every word I spoke was spoken with an object calculated. Yes, even the pauses. I tried to make them tell too. I knew you, you see, Peter. I knew you through and through. And my comment was, that's presumptuous. You hadn't spoken to him in five years. People change. Yeah. I mean, when you first saw him again, you thought he was a kidnapper, which you, I guess he was. So, man, maybe you did see him. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just like, <laughs> like, you're going to sit here and say, like, I knew you. Like, you. You up and left him and didn't talk to him for five years. Yeah, didn't and if we're to that. believe him, he's changed quite a bit since yeah. then. So that, that really bothered me. Um, and that was it. All right. Chapter 17. The other woman, Mrs. Ford, offers to double the money to Peter, but she thinks he is Sam. Honestly, I just feel bad for Peter at this point. Yeah. It's like, I'm fucking Peter. He explains he is not. And Mr. Ford comes up and offers to double what she had offered. Peter explains he is not Sam and says anyone who has kidnapped a little brat would likely pay money for his parents to take him back. Sam steps out. He had been there checking to see if there were cops around. And says he called the two of them there for a reason. He has a proposition. 
He suggests that the two of them get together and remarry with him being security for the kid. Sam tells them to talk it over and walks off with Peter. He explains he double-crossed Buck, who had broken his leg again that night. Sam thinks he'll retire from the business. The Fords come back and have reconciled. Sure, lots of stuff happening with relationships off stage. Mr. Ford wonders why Sam wouldn't just double-cross him, and Sam explains he's engaged to be married and the wife wouldn't let him. Okay. Sure. So I also had a similar issue for when Mr. and Mrs. Ford is like, okay, we're back together, holding hands, and going to ride off in the sunset together. Let's just reiterate that she has spent quite a while trying to kidnap their child. Their child from him. And they do not appear to have an amiable relationship at all. But then a kidnapper says, hey, you guys should get together. And then they do it. And they do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my note was just like, okay. <laughs> like, it. I don't know. To me, honestly... I think another reason I didn't like this book. It just feels lazy. It feels like lazy writing. Like things just kind of happen. And so it just, yeah, you know. Oh, I said it again. <laughs> hmm? I said it again. You know. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, I think it works in that case. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So that's that's kind of where I'm at on that chapter. And honestly, and that's it. That was my last note of the book. <laughs> I did not feel like 69 notes. <laughs> I, that's what it told me. Chapter 18. They leave and Peter's there with Mrs. Drusillus. He asks if Cynthia is back in England. She is. Mrs. Drusillus says she has something to talk about. She talks and talks and talks without <laughs> really, really getting to the point. Until, until Peter puts it together and asks if Cynthia has found someone else. Turns out to be Lord Montre. Okay. Peter catching a glimpse of... What's her face? Audrey? Audrey. <laughs> uh, says he will write to Cynthia wishing her happiness. And then he goes to talk to Audrey. But we don't see it because the book ends there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, I hear what you're saying about the laziness, but definitely when it comes to the relationships. Sure. And it, yeah, there yeah. is definitely there is definitely at least the feeling of like, yeah, I just added this stuff in yeah. after writing the book because I, I felt there needed to be a romance. So it feels like he <laughs> it feels like he wrote the kidnapping plot and then it, it wasn't long enough to be an actual book. And so he's like, all right, I need some some other bullshit in the background. <laughs> like that's the I mean, that's the thing. I mean, even the Woodhouse relationships where I'm not really overly fond of, you see the relationship. Yeah. You don't really see anything between yeah. him and Audrey. Like that one embrace is like, that's it. That's pretty much it. And then like that doesn't it doesn't really explain like what they're doing it all literally all it says is she clung to him and yeah. so originally i'm kind of like oh we just got shot at we survived thank god like oh, yeah let's talk. and so originally because in the next chapter 
um they're talking and audrey's like oh let's forget that that happened and i'm like what's the big deal you just hugged and i'm like wait a minute and i went let's and forget looked. that we were happy that we were alive yeah so it's like okay like i don't know it just yeah it felt like things weren't explained or actually resolved well like it just it just felt like lazy writing i i guess this is the time i ask you what your rating for it was i actually think ours are probably further apart now than i thought it did what was yours three and a half two and a half that's what I actually figured now. Mm -hmm. I figured it was going to be three before, but as we talked about it, I kept <laughs> it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, I still think that it's not my lowest. I think my lowest is still a Smith book. Right. I mean, technically, it's not my lowest. It is. It has the same ranking as Smith and City, but for different reasons, obviously. My feeling is you like this one less than Smith and City. At least Smith and the City had Mike in it. Yeah. I do think that you definitely dislike Smith more yeah. than any character in this book. Absolutely. But the book itself, I think, held more interest to you. Smith and the City? Smith and the City. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, That's why I said different. Because pretty much Smith and the City, it lost two and a half stars because of Smith. <laughs> This one just didn't earn any. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of, not a lot happening. Yeah. I I feel like this could have almost been a short story. I think it would have been better. As a, yeah, I think it would have been better as like a short story or novella. Um, because this just, like I said, like it was too much up and down with no tension. I feel like. We, we we got more from the uh, Jeeves and Worcester story about uh, I forget the name of the story, but where there he's helping Freddie with the the ex fiance and oh, they kidnap the, the kid. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel like more happened in that story, yeah, which was a short story, than happened in this novel. Yeah, I would agree with that. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that the somewhat sequel to this, not really a sequel, but it, it does have Ogden in it again mm -hmm. and kidnapping as part of the mm -hmm. the plot, but uh, has a bunch of different main characters. Mm -hmm. I think you'll enjoy that one more. Okay. But yeah, this one just didn't work. Yeah. That well, yeah. <laughs> I think I pretty much said everything. I feel like I ragged on it pretty hard. You did, you did. It's just giving my honest I, opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's a bad book, I don't think it's a good book either. Yeah, I, I do think that it's always interesting to look at my rating for a book mm -hmm. after the podcast, sure, because sometimes it goes down. <laughs> After we talk about it. Okay. Sometimes it doesn't go mm -hmm. down. Like the ones that I have ranked like five stars. Or sure. Four and a half stars. Those don't go down. But like I said, I rate this three and a half. It may go down to three. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, But because one, 
I had not read this book before. It's one of the few mm -hmm. Woodhouse books that I had not read previously. So we both read this as a new book. Mm -hmm. And I do the thing where I read several books at a time. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I did actually take a break from this book for like two days and read a different one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I did the thing where I, I read like a chapter a day because mm -hmm. I take the, my notes mm -hmm. and I do the synopsis. So I read it over like. Well, I didn't. I, some days I did multiple chapters, so I did. It was like fifteen days. Yeah. So. So that was the little nugget. Which I feel like I sucked all the energy out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did. You did. No, I'm just, I'm just like Dad looks so much more dejected than when we started. Um, I I will say. Obviously, read any Woodhouse book you want because mm -hmm. your experience is not always going to be like ours. You may enjoy this book. And if anything, you can read this book to look forward to Piccadilly Gym, which is the semi sort of uh, sequel to it, uh, which I do believe is a much better book than this one. Yeah, there's not really much more to say about this. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to go cry soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, next time, we're going to be reading Love Among the Chickens, which will be Robin's first experience with Ookridge. I don't know how you're going to feel about Ookridge because he has some things in common with Smith. Okay. But as I mentioned before, things don't always go as planned yeah. for him like they do with Smith. Yeah. Ookridge is more like that he's kind of like that uh, brother-in-law that's like always mooching off you and sleeping on oh. your couch and always trying to get you into the plans to mm -hmm. make money quick. Oh, sure. And that you find has borrowed your best suit while you weren't looking. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call him a lovable idiot, but... <laughs> Not as bad as Smith. He's, yeah, I think you'll enjoy him more than Smith. And I do think this novel is probably... It's the only novel he appears in, but he does appear in many short stories, which I like less than the novel. Okay. But I also like uh, the narrator in this one, too, mm -hmm. who also has uh, a romance going on. So Ukridge isn't always the focus of it which mm -hmm. i think you kind of need to do that with ukridge yeah so that's what we're going to be reading next time i'm just glad to not be reading this book anymore <laughs> it i dad so dad was watching me i was literally sitting next to him i was trying not for, to focus on you because i no i understand <laughs> but like i was sitting next to him literally for like five hours trying to finish the book i only had 25 percent left <laughs> And it took me literally five hours. I'm just, I'm just glad it's done. Yeah, this is our last Woodhouse book of the year. Yes, because I doubt either one of us is gonna squeeze on another one in the next <laughs> four, four days. days. <laughs> you have read thirteen Woodhouse books this year. Yeah, of the ones you read, which one would you say is your favorite? I think it is definitely my highest rated. It's not a five star for me. 
but I would have to say hot water. Hot water. That one has stuck with me since we read it, and I sort of compare all the books after to it. I, I do have to say, honestly, of the books that we have read for the podcast, more often than not, it's the standalone ones that stand out for me. Sure. Uh, hot water and quick service and frozen assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like the Jeeves and Worcesters, mm-hmm. but they're yeah. still in their short story phase. Yeah. And I think they start to really excel when it gets to novels. And Blanding's Castle, mm-hmm. the first one, very good book. Yeah. But it's the first one, and then the second one had Smith in it. Mm-hmm. Still think it was a good book, but it had Smith in it. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, the one with Mike and Smith, they had Smith in them. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I don't know that I would necessarily say hot water is my favorite, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I think if we were to like add our points for them, that hot water would stand together for sure. us as the number one. Yeah, yeah. That is it for the little nugget. I'm sorry. Robin came into this. Robin was lethargic in yawning and kind of shuffling before we started this podcast. Uh, and now I feel that way after. I feel great. I feel like I exercise all my demons. Yeah. <laughs> gave them to you. She's stolen all my powers. <laughs> and stole your life force. <laughs> a, a little bit, a little bit. I, I, I don't feel like Robin is necessarily wrong about the book. Well, I did enjoy the book more than she did mm-hmm. all the points that you made about it are fair points uh okay good I, I i i did wonder if i'm like well maybe i'm just like not in like right mood so I, it's it's nice that you validated my feelings <laughs> I, I i do think that there's good stuff in there particularly the back and forth between sam and peter i just think there's so much around it that yeah. It's not that it's bad, that it's it's kind of that it's nothing. It, it that, yeah, it's it's bland. I I mean it it's like a, a piece of chocolate in styrofoam. <laughs> it's like yeah. I don't really want to dig through all the styrofoam to get the chocolate. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to look at. It. I mean, <laughs> this will be put out on february 1st so i say happy new year but it'll be a month past by the time you listen to this we hope you had a happy new year yeah (laughs) and uh we will see you next time with a love among the chickens with our first introduction to eucridge please continue to listen we'll try not to be so negative there are good books coming there are books that robin will like too i know there are sorry (laughs) (laughs) Tell <laughs> <laughs>